Hello, you are very welcome to the Inside Our Schools podcast, podcast where we put all the current issues around teaching in Irish secondary schools under the microscope. I'm your host, Andrew Phelan. And thank you very much for joining us for episode number 11. Tonight we go inside our schools and find out just how teachers, SNAs and academics feel about the recent changes to vaccine rollout and the government last week announcing that they were going to change the vaccine rollout to an age-based uh, system rather than a at-risk category based system meaning of course that a lot of teachers and SNAs now aged in their 40s their 30s and 20s uh, will be waiting probably significantly longer for that vaccine uh, when they of course are going into work every single day into crowded classrooms um, and of course SNAs with that up close personal uh, contact with students as well so we ask the questions is that fair uh, and we look at what can be done about it at this stage. We also look at some of the mitigation measures, which of course have been in in place since day one of of this, uh, despite the fact that there's now many new variants of COVID, many which are very, very much more transmissible uh, and are more deadly, uh, for want of a better word. Um, And we ask, are the mitigation measures in schools really good enough uh, to combat those new variants, which we are told now are transmitting through the community rather than just being brought in from abroad? Joining us tonight on the show are Fergal Canton, who is a religion, a computer science and an English teacher. He's also a member of the ASTI for over 25 years and is on the Health and Safety Committee of the ASTI. We're joined by another ASTI member in Christopher Davey, who is a teacher of physics and of science. Linda O'Sullivan joins us. Uh, tonight as well. Linda is an SNA and she's also a Forza Trade Union representative. Finally tonight we're joined by Claire Kelly who is an Associate Professor in the School of Psychology in Trinity. Claire also wrote the Independent Scientific Advocacy Group's paper on school safety. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, please do subscribe. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify uh, and on Google Podcasts. And you'll be kept up to date with all the latest episodes and all the latest discussions that we are having. Another reminder before we start um, that all the participants, including myself, uh, are representing their own views uh, and not the views of their trade union or school or workplace or other. It's just their own personal uh, view. Um, So we just want to remind everybody uh, of that. So yeah, thanks everybody uh, for coming along and for giving up your um, Monday, your Easter Monday. Um, I'm sure you've all been... Um, enjoying the break uh, from from schools, um, hectic as, as it was, uh, and scary for, for a lot of people as it was uh, before the, the Easter holidays. Um, so what we're going to chat about tonight, I suppose, is to put things in context, really, we're on our Easter break. Um, and during our Easter break, at the very beginning of it, um, they decided, uh, actually, it was the Friday before we finished up when these announcements normally come, um, that they were going to change the um, vaccine rollout plan um, from different categories, I suppose, of, of people and workers into an age-based one and that they say has been used in, in various other countries. Uh, and the reason they're saying that is for speed of vaccination, for ease of vaccination, 
um, and, and that's what what they've said and what they what they're going to do. And it seems it seems we, we thought we thought there was going to be a quick turnaround here, um, because there was an awful lot of anger, and I'd have to hand it to a lot of the SNAs. A lot of the anger came from there, uh, and then it started to come from the teaching unions. Um, and we thought I genuinely thought there was going to be a quick turnaround here, but it seems that it's it's not happening. Uh, it seems like they're, they're digging their heels in, and this is the new the way they're going to roll out these these vaccinations is, is age based. Um, so we want to have a, a bit of a, a discussion around that, and then also um, we're going back into schools, and we've we've heard of all these new variants um, flying around. Um, we've heard it somewhere in the country. Um, at the moment, and they're not related to travel, which would suggest that it's community transmission. Um, and yet, we're going back into schools, and some of these are three times, uh, three times more uh, transmissible than even the the, the B one one variant is. Uh, and we're going back into schools with the same mitigation measures uh, in place, uh, which we all know from being in schools is like one meter social distancing, uh, which is not really one meter social distancing. Everyone's crowded in. And to be honest, that's that's really about it <laughs> um, that, that, that they have uh, with a few hand gels on the wall around the place. Um, but this, these vac- this vaccination, this change to vaccination rollout, um, Linda, you have, uh, you're an SNA mm-hmm. and you were, I think last week you, you, you started a really good campaign um, and it was on Twitter uh, and it kind of exploded from there and you ended up trending. Uh, and from that then, I suppose you 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 were asked on a lot of the media uh, and you've, you've mm-hmm. given really good accounts uh, of, of SNA. So do you want to take us through some of that and, and what do you think about the rollout of vaccines? Um, yeah, so basically I set up the SNA advocacy group with um, a fellow SNA, Darren Roach, and we decided to get hashtag vaccinate SNAs trending um, in sheer frustration and shock that they changed the vaccination programme. So um, that started over Friday when we got the announcement that they were going to change the rollout. So we started from the Friday and it got trending, um, I suppose, out of anger towards the government and anger towards everybody that made the change because we are the people that are on the front line. So we have SNAs that are working in conjunction with nurses who have been vaccinated in special schools and SNAs are being forgotten about. Um, as I said on RTE earlier this morning, we're being bit, we're being spat at, we're being coughed on, uh, we're in some circumstances being urinated on. Um, we are doing the job that most nurses do. We're doing catheterizations, we're doing peg feeding. Anything that you can think of that happens in a special school is also happening in a mainstream school, which leaves us incredibly vulnerable to the virus. Um, we have no mitigation measures. I mean, we open windows in a classroom and we hope for the best to wear our new masks. And that's all the change. There was no change from September. There was no change from December. There's no change now. The big change that I've noticed is that when an SNA goes out in my school or any other school, we have no substitutes that are willing to come into the school. We have no substitute teachers that are going to come in. Um, and children are still presenting into school with symptoms of COVID. And we are having to deal with that as well. So um, if anything, since September, it's got worse. And on the basis of that, we are asking for us to be prioritized, not over anybody else. My sister is medically vulnerable and my dad, I want them done before me, but we're just simply asking to be put in cohort nine 
for uh, overcrowded setting, whatever that is, but apparently we're not going to be getting done, um, which I know people have said, oh, but sure, you'll be on your summer holidays and stuff. But my worry is us facing back into that first day back to school. Um, we had a situation last week where we had the week before last, there was five staff members out. Um, so it's a very real possibility that schools will have to close because we can't get people in to cover the substitute um, for the absenteeism that are go is going to come. Um, I know today in the media they said that, oh, today it's one of our lowest numbers. Yeah, like no shit, Sherlock. It's because schools have been closed and past this point, you wouldn't be deemed as close contact. So that's why the numbers are um, closed. Suppose from an SNA's point of view, like the fear is real and SNAs that I would know that would have been, I'm sure like Claire has looked into this of very sound mind and um, very capable, never suffered with mental health issues. Now we're starting to suffer because of the pressure of lockdowns and because of the pressure that we were being put under on a daily basis. Um, and then the real possibility now with the new variants of bringing something home to medically vulnerable parents and children themselves. So um, I suppose yeah we've just had enough and we're not going to take this sitting down we're going to keep making noise and if that comes to an agreement with unions on the basis of industrial action i mean you can't blame us because we were promised on the understanding that we would go back to school in february that we were going to be vaccinated in the first 30 percent of the cohort after vulnerable and the elderly and they've told us now that that won't happen so um I mean, it's sheer anger and frustration. They don't uh, appreciate SNAs and they've never respected us. Um, and I mean, Michal Martin said, I think, was it February on the steps of government buildings that we are the new frontline, well, treat us like it. You vaccinated the rest of your frontline workers, so they should do the same for us. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. I think there's a couple of key things you, you raised there and that's mm -hmm. what I'm looking at on Twitter and what I'm looking at on, on Facebook and all these social media platforms is well, why do you think you should be vaccinated over somebody who's vulnerable or sick? And like, I sometimes I wonder that people actually read what's in the posts or read what's in beneath the headlines yeah. or read the newspaper article. Yeah. Um, you know, like, it's, like, it's like, clearly be, it's clearly been stated by by yourself, just, yeah. by loads of people, by all the trade unions that they're not asking to be put in front of people who are sick, people who are vulnerable in in those categories. They're just asking to be uh, considered next behind those people. Uh, that's I think that's key. And, it, it, you know, and, and again, it's the same comments, comments. Now, we shouldn't ever lie by comments on social media, of course. But it, of course, that feeds that does feed the national psyche and people follow yeah. on from that. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's very similar to when when schools were closed. Put the teachers on the PUP. They'll come back mm. to school tomorrow. Um, mm. Like, I don't want to say I don't want my I don't want a vaccine ahead of my elderly neighbors. Mm. I don't want it ahead of my medically vulnerable sister. All I'm asking for is. When you have that lot done, could you think about maybe looking after SNAs? Because in a, it's a very real situation there when we go back in April that there are SNA colleagues of mine working in special schools where some of the nurses that they, they work have been vaccinated, mm. but the SNA colleagues haven't. So mm. like that's, you know, there we go. And we're all meant to be on the front line or essential workers, but that's only when it suits the narrative. And in February, it suited the narrative because they wanted to make us go back to school. Uh, and now the situation's even more dire and we have no new mitigation measures. We have no new um, protection for any of us. Mm. And now they're saying, no, um, you, you'll just wait and you'll get your vaccine based on your age. 
which is ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose the other the thing you raised there, which is really important uh, and probably been put to you in the media and other places as well is, and it's a question we should all really answer tonight is, you know, what, you know, sure, by the time you get vaccine, it'll be May, it'll be in, in secondary, certainly, there'll probably be a couple of weeks left in the year and you'll be on your holidays. But you see, m- my answer to that is, you know, these we, we've been told the new variants that are coming in, the vaccine may not work on some of those, we don't know, and if they have to revaccinate again, then if we're not kept high up in the lists, then it could be well into next year, the following year uh, that we're vaccinated. You know. then, Andrew, as well, you have to think about, especially in special schools, um, we would generally do July provision yes. SMAs. Yeah. So the likes of Adam Harris, uh, Down Syndrome Ireland, the likes of these organisations that campaigned for schools to reopen in February, mm-hmm. now they're starting to realise now that the narrative is that the government were never on the side of the children with needs and mm-hmm. that if they don't vaccinate the SMAs, these things really are a threat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, we need to do July provision. These children have gone through enough. Mm-hmm. But the only way to safely do that is to make sure that we're vaccinated. And as I said, we do not want to skip a few. It's, I was very clear about that. And I think the unions have been very clear about that. We're just asking for a priority, which looks like cohort nine. Um, but still, there's no understanding that that's when we'll be done. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Fargo, you look like a man who wants to jump in there and talk about the teachers and why we should be kept in, in uh, I think it was actually 11, um, uh, yeah. cohort number 11 uh, initially. Um, I think it but, might be um, fair to say that we were promised that we'd be in the first 30%, whatever tier we were on, mm. that the, the rollout of the vaccine is, um, it's just another tool for us to do our job. Um, from my point of view as a um, health and safety representative, I, I take my views from the legislation the legislation states that um, the employer, uh, and by that I mean now the Minister for Education, um, it bears responsibility, statutory responsibility, uh, under the Health and Safety Health, uh, Safety, Health and Welfare Act of 2005 for the safety, health and well-being of all employees in education. And this is not just about mortality. You keep hearing in the news about people saying that, um, oh, you know, that older people, if they get COVID, they're likely to die. But there's also, people aren't talking about that younger people uh, are getting um, COVID. And then there's, they're, they're not being hospitalized, but they're getting what's called long COVID. They're getting morbidity. They're getting kind of um, breathlessness and they're, they're getting kind of um, tremors, fatigue, uh, muscle ache. And we're still studying like, the long-term effects of that. So um, we don't know um, when our employer says, oh, we're all opening up on the 12th. You're not getting vaccinated. You're going back in. Basically, the employer, um, insofar as that the employer is the government, the Department of Education and the entire government behind it, they're saying your health as somebody in education is not of concern to us. We're only concerned with your service and we are not prioritizing your protection. Another thing that the Health and Safety Act requires is that um, employers would take all necessary measures to make a a safe working environment. Now, all of us here are concerned about the education of young people, but it shouldn't be that we put our own health and the health of whoever we live with in jeopardy because we are public servants and we provide a public service. We are entitled to a safe and healthy working space. And with the COVID variants, some of which are between 54 to 75%, you know, more, the, the B117 um, is 
According to uh, HS uh, Health Protection Surveillance Centre document issued the 5th of March, it is 54 to 75% more virulent than the original COVID. And that means that they know how dangerous and how transmissible this is. They know that people are getting long COVID as a result of it. And they know that therefore the mitigation measures that are in place for us to return to school are currently inadequate. Back in um, January, I think, the three, uh, the four trade unions, FORSA, INTO, TUI and ASDI sat down with the education um, committee in um, Dolairn and they made presentations and they requested that um, CO2 monitors for the air quality be put in all the classrooms. And they asked for a increased uh, PPE funding and they asked that the government would uh, uh, go and have the HSBC do risk assessments with the new variants uh, in the schools. And as far as I know, none of that has happened. That's not happening. And th these would all be steps that the government could show that is concerned for its employees. It's, in, it's following its statutory responsibilities. But if you go to talk about the vaccination order, there was actually a vaccination um, strategy. There was a, NIAC produced its own document on uh, the strategy for delivering vaccinations. And in it, they set down three principles, principle of equality, principle of fairness, and the third principle is called reciprocity. And the principle of reciprocity says, requires special consideration be given to those groups who play an essential role in responding to the pandemic, and in doing so, place themselves at greater risk of being infected than the general population. Now, that principle is the one by which everybody in education who are being told they must work, must go out to work and expose themselves to the transmission that is the principle which is being ditched or abandoned for the simplicity or rapidity of delivering the vaccinations because of the ineffectual portal, the ineffectual IT side, which was also something that should have been delivered on. And as a result of that, um, a whole lot of groups, not just teachers, not just SNAs, but the school bus drivers, the retail workers, they're all being abandoned. And it's not fair and it's not right because People who can stay at home and work from home are less exposed, but people like the guards, the teachers, the SNAs, the bus drivers, the retail workers, they don't have the choice not to go to work. They must be on the front line. And if they're on the front line, well then, according to the principle of reciprocity, they should be prioritised for, for, for protection. There's another point in the document that the government themselves put out, and it's this. The framework also points to the importance of procedural values of transparency, inclusiveness, responsiveness, reasonableness, and accountability in reaching decisions regarding the allocation of COVID-19 vaccine. That didn't happen. A decision was made by the government. There wasn't consultation. And the groups who had been previously given allocation in an order because of that principle of reciprocity were abandoned mm -hmm. and weren't consulted. And... It appears to have been um, a decision that suited the government because it got them around the problem that the previous health workers who got inoculated, it appears a lot of people were able to gain the portal and get vaccinations when they weren't entitled to them. Mm -hmm. And the government was saying, we don't know how we're going to do it for education. We couldn't even do it for healthcare. I'll tell you what, we'll just do it by age. And GPs up and down the country are saying, you know, um, that they are, that there's no central streamlined IT system put in place yet 
by which they can identify the priority groups. Mm. And so therefore, it's gone down to the lowest common denominator, D-O-B, date of birth, because it's easier. And the precautionary principle is just because something is easier doesn't make it moral, doesn't make it legal, and it certainly doesn't make it fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff you mentioned there that I completely agree with. Fergal. When you're, the narrative, I suppose, when we were going back to school, um, but back in, in uh, once we came back uh, after Christmas, was that, you know, well, young people don't get this, so we're okay. You can open the schools, the kids are not going to get it. It was almost like there was no adults in the room with the kids. <laughs> there was no teachers, no SNAs. They, they don't exist. It's only the kids in school. So therefore open them up, you know? And then of course the adults, the, ki- the kids probably have it or are asymptomatic. They bring it home, they can spread it and then it gets to the adults at home and so on. And that's how it spreads out. I think uh, the SAGE report in England showed that, that, you know, the, the number one way this gets into households was, was from kids age 12 to, to 16 when, when they're in schools, you know, um, well, coming out of schools and bringing it home um and that's one of the, the narratives certainly um christopher i know um you looked a lot at this vaccine rollout i seen you were very active on social media there and you were you were i was repeating yes. a lot so do you want to give us some some of what you found yeah so um i yeah so what i found was um well i had a look at that at that niac document and like everything I'm about to say is obviously a premise with like, if anybody wants to prove and say that what I'm saying is incorrect, I'm more than happy to hear it. But um, I had a look at kind of the studies that they were citing as uh, in, in what they were saying was their occupational risk data. What they were citing, I think was the data in my opinion was, was out of date. Um, none of very little amounts of the studies were taken when schools were open. Um, I have it. I said that the, you know, when the schools reopened, uh, the one study that was taken when the schools were reopened did show that there was an increase in risk for teachers and, and, and students and for, for when that was across all cohorts, whether that's, you know, from from, uh, from early childhood care all the way up to uh, to, to upper secondary. Um, the data didn't really, con- the occupation risk data contained no Irish data whatsoever. Uh, and I think that's been one of the big failings in, this pandemic is that we aren't doing any surveillance as to what's actually happening in Ireland. We are not having a look at what's going on from a, from a, from from a perspective of uh, what's the mitigation measures happening and what are they doing in Ireland. You know the resources aren't put into it by the government, and, and it's been one huge huge failing on this. Um, the 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 document from the NIAC that was put out also contained no real studies that take that took place when. B117 was was uh, was present, and we all know that B117 is by far by far the most prominent strain in Ireland at the minute, and it doesn't account for any any possible uh, new variants that are introduced into the country. Um, I, I I don't like doing a hatchet job on, on on academic work because you know these are really really respected people and they're far more educated than I ever will be, but. On one hand, like I'm, I'm looking through papers uh, when I'm doing my research masters, and you kind of have to look at them with a critical lens and see what's happening. And like, is it worth, is it worth the paper it's written on? Is it, is it worth changing a vaccine rollout over? Um, I, I said, uh, when, online uh, when I was having a look at it, that you know, there's definite grounds for the unions to ask for more data. 
you know, there's definite grounds for the unions to go, right, okay, if you want to pull the rug from under us, back it up, please. Show me the evidence. Show me why you're doing this. Um, show me why you are putting my parents at risk when I come home uh, from school. Uh, and I don't think the data is there. Um, I really don't. Um, now, I know I'm, when I'm talking here, I'm talking specifically about teachers a lot. But this applies not just to teachers, but it applies to all frontline workers. Um, that data, it's old. It's, it's quite simply old. And I, and I know that these studies take time and they take effort. And, you know, I, I'm aware that, you, you know, you can't really have up-to-date data that's peer-reviewed straight away. But you have to take into account all of these things when you're changing things on a, on a sixpence like they have. And... If, if I was if, if I was a retail worker, if I was a if I was a bus driver, if I was a conductor, you know, I'd be pretty annoyed. I would be really, really annoyed. Um, and it's not just it's not it's the main one thing I kind of and I know it's the reason why I kind of set up this podcast, Andrew, is about the discussions around teaching. And as soon as as soon as the teachers just try to stand up for themselves, we're straight away targeted as the bad men and we and bad women, men and women, and we have been targeted straight away. Yeah. And and it's not about us. Like we can, it's very easy for you to, it's very easy to say like, yeah, look, you're going to be off in May. That's fine. Some of us will be off in May, but as Linda was saying, some of us are going to be doing July provision. Some of us are going to be working, do, like trying to keep the leaving cert show on the road, which is going to need more supervisors and more individualators than ever before. Mm-hmm. Is anybody going to discuss about those workers? Yeah, for sure. Some teachers will be off and I absolutely accept that. But is that any reason why bus drivers shouldn't get the vaccine? Is it any reason why retail workers shouldn't get the vaccine? No, it isn't. These people need it. And they need the safe of they need the safety of mind that comes with it. You know, we're not, yeah, for sure. Like if I got the vaccine, it's it'd be great. You know, I'm I'm pretty young. I, I, odds are I should be okay. But you know, we're talking about the stress of of coming home. And I know before Christmas when I came home to my family, I was a nervous wreck. I had to pay for had to pay for a, I had to pay for a private code to, I had to pay for a private private COVID test before I came home. I was an absolute nervous wreck coming home, and I can't imagine having to do that every day. So if some teacher gets peace of mind for two weeks after having a nervous wreck coming home every day, fine, I don't mind. You know, I, I don't think anybody can begrudge that. We're also talking about a very small number of teachers. When it comes to teachers, we're talking about a very small number um, in terms of we could be vaccinated in, in a very short period of time. But again, that argument, I think, should be applied across all retail sectors and across all public sector, or not public sector, but all public-facing regions, or public sector, public-facing workers. And they all need it. Uh, mm-hmm. They all need that peace of mind. And if it comes in May or if it comes in whenever, uh, it needs to come as soon as it can because... I don't see why somebody who from working for, somebody who is not in an at-risk group but is mm. working from home should get it just over the date of birth. Um, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Like that, the actual whole thing. Like I just when you said about the fear when you come home, I have I'm a single parent. I have two children, so that's three schools every day. When I come home, I have three school bags, three coats that go outside my back door because I mm. I, I spray everything. I I wear scrubs to work now and that's something that our principal did to try and protect us but that's three sets of different schools three sets of every day wondering are you going to be a close contact are my children going to be a close contact and like the stress levels are ridiculous 
And like, mm. that's not, I'm sure, like Claire will say, that's not healthy to live like that. So these two weeks, like only now this week, I know, okay, definitely won't be a close contact and neither will my children. But sure, when we go back in April, we're back in the, the whole nightmare again. Yeah. And like, and even, uh, uh, sorry to come back in, but I know like in my own personal, like my, my own housemate is currently caring for his grandmother and his grandmother has luckily got two doses of the vaccine, so she should be okay. But, you know, officially he can't really, you know, can you imagine the peace of mind that comes with him when he's looking after his grandmother if he got, you know, a first dose of the vaccine? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he's 20, whatever, he should be fine. But it's, again, it's that peace of mind. Um, I think it's really important. Yeah, but again, Christopher, uh, what you mentioned there a lot is the retail workers and, and things like that. And, you know, that's, again, something that's thrown at people. How do you, how do you, why should you be vaccinated before? <laughs> we're not arguing no, to be vaccinated not. before them. You know, we're, nobody's, nobody's saying that retail workers don't matter. It, it To me, what what it is, is like, where are, where are the, the big supermarket chains asking for their workers to be vaccinated uh, you know they're making profit after profit after profit one of the only probably there's lots of businesses closed down and have to close down these shops are, are still open people are still doing their shopping they're making a lot of money uh, and the people who are making that money for them sitting at the tills uh, are, are are unvaccinated so surely where are these supermarket chains in asking and i think a big problem in, i suppose the reason you think teachers are always giving out and the reason you think some other public sector works is because we have strong unions. We're, we're a strong unionized force. Whereas if you look at the retail work, it's, it's just not there. You know, a lot of them, you know, they're not in trade unions. So they don't have that collective power, I suppose, to say no. They say, I'm not going to work because it's unsafe. The boss says, see you later. You're, you're not working here anymore. You know, and that's, that's the reality. Whereas if you have a strong unionized force, Maybe you might hear uh, some of it. I'm sure there's lots of re- retail workers listening. If they listen to this, they probably won't because it's teachers. But if they are listening to this, they probably get, they'd get angry saying, why do you think you're in front of us? But we're not. We, I think you should be as well, you know. But as, well as, as well as that, like sometimes the argument that I suppose I had in February and I still have is, yes, they should be vaccinated. Absolutely. They work with the, the public. But are they as close in proximity as SNAs and teachers? Like, are, are they peg people? Are they not be changing? Are mm. they being bit? Are they being spat at? Mm. Like these are like the real realities for the likes of us that are in school. Like I can't even imagine what it's like to be in a secondary school with the, the age group that you have and how mm. many children. Oh, like, yeah. you know, like it's, you know, and absolutely they should all be done as should the guards. I 100% believe that. There's, but, there, there, there's a there's a point where uh, you have to kind of sit back and, and do what, what's the real risk assessment here yeah. and there's a couple of myths floating around um, the first myth is that you can you can risk assess a worker by what you see in front of you mm-hmm. I mean Linda has just revealed that she's a she's a mother of children okay um, but she could just as easily be living with elderly parents who have vulnerabilities mm-hmm. lots of SNAs are being characterized as being young and healthy people but there are lots of SNAs who are older and who are in their fifth, late 50s or 60s and working as SNAs and, and came into the, the, you know, came in as SNAs um, a, a good Sorry. while ago. Yeah. And so misrepresenting of groups um, is, is very unfair. And, and nobody asks you when you sit down to do an interview as an SNA, do you have an underlying health condition? You know, this is just something that is now coming up. So we have SNAs employed in our schools who have underlying health conditions that are rated by the government as high risk, but not very high risk. So therefore, 
they must go to work on the 12th of April if they have underlying conditions, unless they're dying of cancer or they're recovering from a kind of, um, might say, a, 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 um, an organ transplant or something like that. The, the, the category of very high risk is very, very restricted mm-hmm. and a very, very small number of people. Whereas the category of high risk, uh, which where, where, we're, where people are being told you must go to Medmark and, and very few people are being let off having to expose themselves in the workplace, that's very, very high. And they're basically told, wear double mask, wear more PPE, you know, try and stand back from the kids. And that just isn't safe enough and it is not good enough. Stand back from the kids. Yeah. With, and it, and again, I would actually on this podcast, and this is going to probably upset Andrew, but I don't mind. Um, I would Very say hard to upset S- me, for Fergus. SNAs, SNAs should come before teachers because mm. of the nature of their work. They are more exposed. There's nothing upset, upsetting me about that. Absolutely not. Okay. I, 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 as a lead worker representative for my school, as a health and safety representative, I recognize that the work of the SNA means they must have to come into mm. close contact physical contact with the students in a way that I don't mm. therefore their risk is greater mm-hmm. and that is you know there's there's play the real underlying reality that is causing all of this is the lack of supply of vaccine if there was vaccine coming to the country at the speed at which it should have been coming it w- we wouldn't be having we wouldn't be having this divide or conflict. if our school was near the beacon we'd probably be done so it would be okay Claire can you shed any light on this for us at all you're sitting there listening attentively to, to what we're saying. Um, There's just been so many um, important and interesting points raised. Um, I mean, I think what, you know, what Linda um, has talked about with the reality of what SNAs face in schools, I mean, I absolutely agree. And what um, ISAG, what we put in our, our discussion paper on this is that we felt that um, that teachers should be prioritised after, should be vaccinated after those of very high risk and that amongst teachers, um, those working with children with um, special educational needs should be prioritized and you know I think it's it speaks a little bit to the invisibility of of you know um, SNAs and the work that you do and um, the the children that you work with and young people that you work with Um, I don't think there's good appreciation of the nature of the work that you do Um, and it's probably interesting that it's a female dominated sector Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, I think that raises that, that um, you know, the role of, of values and prioritization in terms of the vaccination rollout. Um, you know, we have said, and Neffet have said, and, and I suppose that the government have, have probably said too, that, you know, schools should be last to close and first to open, and we need to prioritise schools. We particularly need to prioritise um, children with special educational needs, because we know that when they are deprived of the school setting, they lose their services and they lose more than their education, because there's so many of their services are linked with schools. And there are studies on that and ongoing in Ireland that have shown how much children um, with special educational needs lost um, during the school closures. Um, and then, it, you know, but it comes to what Fergal raised with this reciprocity, then if schools are, are important and valued, then why aren't they being supported in the way that they should be in order to make them safer? You know, we know how we can make schools safer. Uh, we know the mitigations that are needed. And, and as you've all said, 
very little has been done and certainly nothing new has been done um, in the new year um, since we came back after the period of closure. Now that we know that B117 is completely dominant in Ireland and we know that that's changing a lot of the rules of the game that, that we, were, we thought we were playing and we can see that happening all over Europe and yet nothing more is being done. And, and I can't, <laughs> I can't shed any light on that. I'd love you to, to, to try and shed um, light on it for me. But I mean, we know that there are minimal things that could be done, things like CO2 monitors in schools um, to help teachers to know when they really need to increase that ventilation. I mean, thankfully, we're coming into a better time of year now. And, you know, we can we can tolerate having windows and doors open all the time. But obviously, that's such a, an incredibly low tech solution. And, you know, we are one of the richest countries in the world. Um, and yet we don't seem to be investing just the minimum in our education system to support children and teachers and to protect them and to protect our communities. Um, and, and so some of that, I think, you know, some of um, what Fergal touched on, um, you know, why this this change has been made. And of course, I don't fully understand it at all. But I think there's a couple of things playing a role. Um, you know, one is um, that the government essentially seems to have kind of thrown in the towel at trying to do anything reasonable. They, you know, um, Leo Varadkar said, well, it doesn't look like we can get cases below 500 a day. Um, and so they haven't adopted, you know, a strategy uh, that would allow us to bring these cases down to a safe number that would make schools safer, right? And that would um, make our communities safer. Um, so they're, you know, they, they're putting in these kind of half measures, you know, the mandatory hotel quarantine that is very half-heartedly Im implemented. Um, and, you know, we have the, we're, we're moving towards relaxing a lot of our um, uh, level five measures in the next couple of weeks while cases are still very high. And so the idea is that they're switching to this age-based strategy or sorry, age-based uh, um, prioritization for vaccination because of course those who are older are at the greatest risk of hospitalization and death. Um, but it's, it, it seems to reflect this, this idea that they're just not going to get cases down. Um, and so this will minimize the deaths but it won't necessarily minimize the cases um, and it won't minimize that spread. And as Fergal raised, we, you know, we don't know what the long-term implications of infection with, with SARS-CoV-2 are. We don't know what the long-term um, long implications are for kids, for younger people. You know, there's worrying data from the UK, particularly about long COVID um, with, with somewhere between five and 10% of kids suffering from that and probably 10% of adults. So, you know, so that's one really uh, uh, worrying factor. You know, the other thing is they, 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 the government seem to be following the UK on this, you know, follow, adopting their strategy and their approach. Um, but as we know, the UK are streets ahead in terms of their rollout of vaccinations and about 60% of um, adults um, you know, anyone aged over 18 in the UK has been vaccinated. Now, Northern Ireland slightly behind that, but 60% of adults in, in a lot of the UK are vaccinated. And we're um, uh, way back at about 10%, just over 12% that have received one dose. So it, it does, it seems to be really hard to make sense of. And, and I completely agree for all of the reasons that you said that because we, we need to prioritize schools, we need 
to vaccinate you. We need to protect teachers. We need to protect kids. And absolutely, teachers should be vaccinated. And I completely agree that they should be vaccinated as part of the group nine. I mean, it makes sense. They're working in a crowded environment. Mm. Um, you know, there's been this narrative that schools do not contribute to transmission, that kids don't spread. And, and we know that that's just not true. Um, but we don't have good data on it in Ireland, as, as Fergal pointed out. We don't have a lot, or sorry, Christopher maybe pointed out, we don't have a lot of data um, it, it, for the Irish context. We can go on, on, on what's been happening elsewhere in the world. And we know that where there are really good mitigations, then schools don't contribute to community spread. But where mm. they are not, they do. Um, and they increase risk in teachers and they increase risk in um, incre- uh, children. Um, uh, having children in school is an increased risk of um, contracting COVID in a family. Mm. Absolutely. I think there was a SAGE report showed that. Three things I want to come in there on. Um, and um, Linda, you mentioned as well, and Claire, but, you know, SNAs kind of are, are, being, are, are invisible, you know. Um, yeah. And there's one thing I've noticed, they're certainly not invisible to teachers uh, because we see the work they do every day in the classroom. And I know for a fact they are definitely not invisible to the parents of the young uh, students that you work with every day. I see SNAs in my place on the phone constantly to them, trying to reassure them, talking to them all the time. Like it's it's like a lifeline to a lot of parents, you know, and so certainly not invisible there. But then it begs the question, why are they invisible? I think it's because it's a relatively new profession, maybe. Um, um, and you know everybody knows school because everyone went through school everyone went to a teacher not everybody has had an SNA and and the people who are now working and looking in on that they 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 don't know a lot of people don't know what an SNA does you know what I mean they think someone they think it's someone who sits in a classroom maybe and does a bit of reading for a student they don't they don't understand the depth of what SNAs do and and that's probably why they're a bit invisible to people you know and then again there's, there's many there's many things um i actually sat with a quite prominent fianna fall um td two saturdays ago and had to explain with pen and paper what an sna did because mm. they they honestly didn't know um i think the low bar meaning the the, the qualification for an sna meaning 3ds in a junior certificate creates the impression of somebody that's not educated um, and so in the eyes of the departments, not of teachers, because I've never met a teacher that doesn't appreciate the work an SNA does. But on that basis, I think people just don't, um, people in the Department of Education don't see the worth of an SNA um, or don't want to pay them. And that's the huge, um, that's the huge issue that we have. But I've never came across a parent that also doesn't see, I am in contact with parents of children that I looked after years ago. And it's a bond that you'll never break and I was I nervous about going back in February after being in the media about the reopening schools and when well, I was getting messages from parents asking me begging me send your send SNAs back we have to be back in school not one parent that I work with was going to send their child back and they were very supportive of the fact that we were afraid to return when the numbers were so high so it's not parents it's not teachers it's the department themselves have this have created this narrative that SNAs are somehow less than when in fact most mainstream or secondary school primary school teachers will say that if they have a child that has additional needs without the help of an SNA that class couldn't run because simply it's 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 ridiculous like if you're 28 we've the largest class numbers in Europe Mm. if we have a child or two usually you'll have two children if not more that just don't have the diagnosis that you're helping the teacher couldn't run the class um, so that's not the issue. It's it's the department and 
it's a smack in the face when you hear Joseph Madikin and Norm Foley try and say that they're on the side of the special needs children when in fact they couldn't be any far apart Absolutely. from where their parents are. And I think, again, the narrative suited in February that they wanted to be in their side. It was a disgrace that the SNAs wouldn't go back. It was a disgrace to teachers. We love special needs children. And then here we are now and we're seeing that the allocation, nothing has changed. And um, I think the parents can see that now. So can the advocacy groups that were kind of, you know, we were all pitted against each other. So it was very well, it's, it's actually definitely something that I'm going to do in the next couple of weeks, Linda, is get you back on and, and get uh, Darren and some of those other people involved in your SNA group and get, and get you get just do a podcast solely on. And on allocations of SNAs and all of that, we, we need to we need that to dig to, we, like that, we need to dig into that. You know, the prom, the premise really at that group was to try and build bridges again because January mm. and February was rough for everyone, but it was rough because never had we had experienced parents turning against us, and it yeah. wasn't their fault. It was the sim, it was the narrative of the government to blame mm. somebody, and we were the scapegoat. And we're we're well, we're well used to that. On our yeah, side. I, I'm uh, just going to say that. Can I just say something about the um. We're, we're talking about, um, we're going to be talking about the, the mitigation kind of measures. Yeah. Um, SNAs are pretty new on the scene. And um, again, there are a lot of people who aren't familiar with, with, with the valuable work that they do. And it's, it's part of uh, the caring professions. Uh, very often the, the prof- professions that care for people the most are, are the poorest paid and the poorest appreciated in, in, mm-hmm. in financial terms. Yep. Um, and it's 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 a political decision as where money is allocated, and uh, we in education are familiar with the fact that we have such large numbers in such overcrowded buildings, and that th- this is a legacy issue. I mean, COVID came along; we already had a problem problem of overcrowding and mm. space in our schools before COVID came along. COVID has just highlighted that we don't have the distancing that we need in our schools. We don't have the spaces. We don't have and as part of the mitigation measures, when it was rolled out for us to, you know, to reopen, a lot of um, teachers were taken on in schools, but only one or two per school. There was, there was no way that the class sizes were going to come down. Yeah. There's no way that you're going to go from a class mm-hmm. size of 30 to 15. That never happened. At most, what you got was teachers, extra teachers on the yard, extra teachers on the corridor, young teachers, pe- uh, people doing their postgraduate um, degree in education, being put into schools in, in, in a capacity to, to, to try and do some more supervision. But Mike, we didn't get any bigger buildings and we didn't get any smaller class sizes. And so the risk that you assess, I mean, we couldn't even implement truly in our country the mm. one meter distancing between the, no. between the desks. No, just open a window and hope for the best. That's open what we were window, told. Put on a mask, wash your hands. The, the things that we can do, we did do. But, but to be quite honest, we there have... wasn't the funding provided for the mitigation measures that would have made the original COVID safe. No. We had to mention Perfect. the variants we have now. We, we, when we had to ask them about the masks, like we were going back in there in September if it wasn't for the ASCI pulling them up on it. And I, yeah. I, I'm being very honest there. I, I, I just want to, can I point in one thing about the, the vaccination, I suppose? Yeah. Before we go off the topic, you know. Oh, the, we're, the, we're going to discuss what we do about it now for a second. Anyway. <laughs> but in terms of the, in terms of like the increasing evidence coming out that this vaccine stops transmissibility, it makes all the more sense to put it into the, into the arms of those who are most active in our society in terms of out and about. Um, and that is, you know, and that is your frontline workers. Um. Mm-hmm. 
that would be the last thing I'd say on that. No, you're right. Um, so we, we, I think most of us would agree. I think that there's not a, a teacher in the country or an SNA in the country or indeed parents or, or anybody who, 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 who disagrees. Um, you just have, you do have a lot of people who, you know, again, pitting worker against worker, retail against your, against teachers, teachers against SNAs, always happens. Um, and one thing that I noticed when, when we refused to go back to school that time, uh, it was in January, um, and it was a very, I was at that executive meeting in the ACI, uh, and it was a very, very easy decision made. It was made in half an hour. And, and normally these decisions take a long time. It's a lot of debate and a lot of what are we going to do? People agreeing, people disagreeing. It was very, very quick decision. And the reason it was so quick was because students were, on, were saying there's no way we can go back here, you know. Uh, parents were were very very worried about sending their 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 students and their sorry their 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 kids back into the school environment, um, and it, it was just all a snowball. So it shows the power, I suppose, of being together rather than one division of worker against another division. It, it, it seems to work, and in that sense, I know that we have in the ASTI, I know the TUI and the the INTO. It's been in the media today as well, uh, and fours are going to discuss it at the end of the week as well. That there's a motion coming to convention. Uh, of all the teacher unions and fours, I think, are putting something similar. But the same motion is going to the convention of all the teacher unions, which is is basically jabs and arms by the end of the school year or um, there'll be industrial action. Um, and that's coming up now at the teachers at the teachers uh, unions. And I see fours are today in, in, the, in the media, in the newspapers, saying that they're going to have a very similar uh, stance uh, at, at their one, So, which is really, really good. In my opinion, those have to happen. I know people who are not teachers listen to this going, here we go, they're going to close the school again now after the students being out. But you see, it's not about closing schools. It's not that we don't want to be in there. It, you, if you want to get anything, you, you have to close the schools to put pressure yeah. on the department because if you just go back into the school as was and do your job constantly, 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 you're not going to get anywhere with the department. Yeah. They're just going to dig their heels in and they're going to do nothing. Um, Look how powerful we were in January yeah. and February. And I, I I don't like to say that word because I know children missed out, but we were powerful and we told yeah. them we weren't going back. There was no way they were sending members back. So mm. that's what has to happen again. And nobody wants to do that, but we will have to because if we don't, we'll just be taken and walked all over. Yeah, you know? no, it, it has to be. And one thing I do worry about sometimes is what's said in public and what, what actually happens at, at union meetings. Like, I'm, I'm delighted to see all the union leaderships out today saying that, you know, that, that this is what the case this is, what they're going to do. Um, but I just think us as, I suppose, teachers, as SNAs, we have to make sure that that's followed up on and it's followed through on. That's why we've got to get those, those motions in. And that brings me to the next topic. And we won't spend long on this because we had other podcasts on it. I'm sure it'll be coming up again. Um, but, you know, they talk about us closing schools and, and we always want to shut the schools, like you were saying, in in um, in, um, in in January. But the ASTI last October, we had a motion on mitigation measures because um, myself and a few others put this motion forward. And what we had done is we looked in particular, actually, uh, at ISAG's, um, the information that they were putting out. And we looked at mitigation measures internationally and et cetera and so on. And we put in a whole host of uh, mitigation measures uh, in place. Uh, and one of those was two metre social distance. And now 
people had said that you know that you know that wouldn't work because schools were closed. But actually, what we were arguing for was half in, half out, less people in the building, which actually would keep schools open <laughs> rather than having to shut them if numbers got too high and so on. So, but unfortunately, that didn't pass. But that that just shows you the fear that teachers had around closing schools, around asking for these things, you know, it's, it's a huge fear that's there in terms of what are the public going to say? What, what, what are the media going to say? And they didn't want to close schools. They didn't want close schools closed. They wanted schools open uh, for the kids. Um, but it is unfortunate uh, that that something like that wasn't put in place. I think there was, there was, there's a big push for education to continue as normal in not normal times uh, you know i don't see the harm in someone being in school three days a week learning getting the social interaction getting all of that uh, rather than being in thrown in five days a week into squashed environments uh, you know uh, it's 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 very bizarre um, and now with these new variants um, and that was that was actually by the way when it was it was just the original variant and uh, now we have the new variants we have new ones, as I said at the beginning, coming in that are even more transmissible, probably more um, more deadly. Uh, They're more, more deadly, deadly. yeah, more, more deadly. deadly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Than than the the B one one, and yet there's there's no change um, in mitigation measures. Um, Claire, I know you've already said it, and not throwing you on the spot, but is that crazy, or are we being? No, I, I, silly? I think you're completely right. I mean, it, this is we have boggled at this all along. I mean, there are um, there's there are examples from all over the world about how this has been done elsewhere. And like you said, you know, um, things like a rota system, hybrid learning where the kids are in some days, some days they learn at home, you know, that would enable us to reduce our class sizes. Like you said, we have the biggest class sizes in Europe. Mm. Um, you know, basic um, measures like children older than six can wear masks, obviously not um, children with, with additional needs, but uh, other children can wear masks. Um, and and uh, why even this basic measure wouldn't be introduced other than the fact that the UK haven't done it. Um, I can't figure out when many, many schools, um, many countries throughout Europe um, have been doing it in the US, children older than two wear masks so many children in preschool settings wear them in Canada it's um it's above six, five or six as well mm. so you know that there have the, these mitigation strategies and measures have been implemented elsewhere in the world we can easily um look to school systems elsewhere I mean for example I can you know you can google um you can, you can search for examples of, of rotas and hybrid learning systems and I looked for I found a great example from Rochester School District for example in upstate New York and you can download their entire strategy their plan and the stages of it what kids are in and what kids are out on each day mm. and and I don't know other than that it's a little bit of effort um, mm. why we haven't done it. And it, it seems to be the case for all of our responses uh, to this um, um, emergency. You know, everything is reactive. And even then it's just, what is the least we can get away with doing? Yeah. Um, rather than mm. being proactive, think how can we, how can we really get on top of this thing? You know, can we be leaders in this? Can we show other people how to do it rather than us, you know, ISAG just constantly pointing to mm. literally anywhere else in the world? I mean, I know we haven't done, we haven't been the worst, but we're certainly um, and nowhere near the top in terms of, of any of our um, uh, approaches to this. And yeah, we have, you know, in ISAG, we've like, just from, from uh, a paper that we released in March and we had um, a webinar where we had 
um, Deepthik Gurdasani, for example, who's a, an expert from the UK who talks a lot about schools and about mitigation measures that are needed. And, and we talked through the, the kinds of things that we could do. Um, and, and yet, like you say, um, she was. I'm actually going to put that in the show notes again, that webinar, because it's phenomenal. Uh, and deep, deep, I don't think she even took a breath. She's phenomenal. She's she is, and she's constantly and, up against it in the UK. So, you know, yeah. she's she's one of um, uh, you know, one of the Indie Sage group and one of a, um, a number of uh, um, people who are speaking, you know, very forcefully about mm. um, the role of schools in, in transmission and and the issues like long COVID, the, the long term effects of mm. um, COVID that we that we don't yet understand and how yet the precautionary principle would dictate that we we should um, be more careful and we should be doing everything that we can to protect kids and the people that they can potentially spread the, the disease to and yeah I'm I, I cannot quite figure out why we why there is no will to do that here on the on the behalf of the department of course like schools are doing everything that they possibly can with with the little resources and and that, that, that it, they it's, have. It's surprising to me that 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 you say schools are doing all that they can, but there, there's lots of groups that you you often hear about around education that aren't speaking up at all. And like I'm I'm not hearing anybody from the management side or from the the, the famous principals and deputy principals coming out and saying like you know we are concerned about about what's happening in our schools. And the other thing is the I'm like when you have. I have um, nephews uh, living in, in Texas, uh, attending high school, and, and they're in two days a week, the school gets cleaned on Wednesday, and there's another group in on the last two days of the week, and that's the way their education has been because of the mm -hmm. pandemic, and they're using the fourth dimension, they're using time, I mean, if, if, if you have a limited number of people, and a limited number of space, okay, you can, and, and you're not going to alter those figures. Well, you can alter the time that they're in the one place at the one time. Mm. If you take half the school out of the school, you've twice the space in the school that you had beforehand, you know, and you've and and you've twice the teachers to teach them, you know. So I'm like, it, it takes a bit of timetabling and rejigging it. But but people are, for some reason, you know, that that is not being sought by any of the authorities. Nobody in charge is saying. And, and, and I think it's, it's, it's like there's almost a, a wall between the health authorities and the education authorities. And they don't look over the wall and say, how can I help the person on the far side do their business? But it's because you know? we're childminders, Virgil. Like it, 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 yep. that is, that's it, plain and simple. Yep. Is that they just want us, they want to, they want, in September, they wanted us to look after the children so that the mum and dad can go back to work. It's, that's and, the agenda. I think it's a work agenda, all right, yes. Mm. And that yeah. won't work if you have to be at home half the time minding the children that are home half the time. Yeah, and it's their political party as well. It's Fianna Fáil's narrative. Schools are safe, as Norm said. And they haven't heard her say that for a couple of weeks because they're clearly not. Mm -hmm. But she, they don't want to fail because they want to be the government that kept schools open. Mm -hmm. And they'll blame us. Yeah, no, <clears throat> I think that you've touched on a, on a nerve there. Absolutely. I think that's exactly it's they just wanted to get schools in and get they look they, their target in their head is the middle of june that that's in their head for secondary school anyway is the middle of june get to the middle of june get to the middle of june and then take a big sigh of relief it's the summertime and then we can't be blamed for closing schools or for doing any yeah. of this uh, and, anymore and, 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 and I, I the think, famous leave insert yeah oh, yeah and, and 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 we're the ones who they've just went 
SNA's teachers get in there and get us to that target. Get in there and get us to that but, target. That's but, the way it, it seems to me anyway. It's it's not just that. I'm like, if you look at uh, since back to, I think it was July, 27th July, when the, the original guidelines came out, it was very clear that the Department of Education were washing their hands and saying, okay, we've produced these guidelines. We're now delivering them to the schools. So if it falls down, it'll be falling down on the school side mm. because we have told them what to do. And if they get outbreaks of COVID, well, then it's their fault because they even, even yeah. over the weekend when we seen the outbreak in the CRC, it was very much a blame game that the school, mm. it oh, was the right. school, like it was the school. It wasn't the school. The school tried their best with very limited measures. Like they they did their best. Like we all know the teachers, the SNAs, the principals are doing stellar work. It wasn't the school. It was because of the way that we'd, we'd no new measures. They opened a window and wore a mask and we have a bit of hand sanitizer and hope for the best. You see a lot of this as well in terms of it's blaming the schools and should the schools have this amount of money, they've that amount of money. Like, for example, I know some schools who have perspex between all their, their desks in the science labs. Do you know what I mean? And my school has that in the science lab. So there's, there's some schools who have loads of stuff. There's other schools in the any. But what that's is that's expecting a principal to be somebody who knows everything about health and safety and it's just they just lumped it all on them here's some money now now do something with it yeah. you know and, and but it, it goes back to that that's that's the government policy at the moment yeah. for years for years here we had education was state run and it was it, you know the, they set the exams they said everything and everything that you did in a school was determined by the department of education right but what they've done now is they've they've changed that and everything called advanced in school autonomy where they're leaving the schools make up their own minds on what they do here, what they do there, how they teach. Not yet curriculum, but I'd watch this space. That is going to be coming, I would imagine, down the line. Um, but um, And you can see it now in terms of the, 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 the pandemic. You can see that. You can see some schools have this, some schools don't, because they're not being given any instruction. They're not being given okay, they've been given guidelines, right? Uh, but they, they haven't been exactly told how to put these in place yeah. uh, or what to do. Christopher, so, you're... you're... There's, there's a friend of mine, and he, he said very much as he was coming through education, if you want to make me responsible, then you have to give me the, the, the freedom to choose. Mm. Autonomy means that somebody can make choices themselves, whereas what is being traded as teacher autonomy or school autonomy is actually the blame Mm. here's resources they're mm. inadequate mm. you have to pick which of your special needs students mm. is going to get the time the allocation of the special needs mm. assessment we're not going to give you enough and when it falls down it won't be our fault because you'll be the one making the choice mm. and we're familiar with this kind of approach and it's, it's setting you up to fail in one regard and not giving you the resources that you need and and and, and you begin to suspect it all goes back down to the commitment to resources where are the resources going? And, and and how can you avoid uh, providing resources? And and I, I, I rather suspect at the end of the day that you know it's the it's it's philosophically the 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 value that is placed on the work that you do, and um, because you're not producing wealth, because you're not on the capitalist side, because you're not a farmer or an IT company or something like that, you're not going to get money thrown at you. You're going to have to account for every penny that you spend on a form. And you're going to get less than you'll ever need. Yeah, Christopher, you want to come in there? Yeah, I do. I, I just want to come in and I kind of want to say, like, what's our schools going to look like in September if by at this stage, you know, children won't have gotten the vaccine by September? Um, so you can imagine that every variant will, every all of those variants will still be present and further mutating in children. 
all around the world. And, you know, is there an argument? Will, will like, when I'm picking LPTs just off the top of my head, like, you know, LPTs are going to be roughly around 33, you know, at their youngest. And what, like, what is, what, what's an LPT? Like, if, if again, they're, they may, I know they make up about 25% of, say, the workforce, maybe even 33% in that ballpark. Like, they, will they be vaccinated by September? Definitely not fully vaccinated. And um, so you're talking about a huge proportion of our working population that still won't be vaccinated by the time we go back to school in September. In my opinion, it makes all the more reason for us to, you know, the, 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 the safest thing that we can do at the minute is to, is to put the mitigation strategies in place to keep us safe now immediately, but also to make it safe for us to go back in September. Mm. We're talking about the immediate future, but we have to see what's coming down the line. And what's coming down the line is that we can't have safe schools in September if this same nonsense, this penny pinching is going on now. You know, we're talking about summer as being this great barrier for us. Summer is only two and a half months. It's mm. not even enough time for a full vaccination schedule with AstraZeneca. Mm. We no. need to get us in. We need to get us vaccinated ASAP so we can get back into school safely in September. Yeah, but the, the, uh, the vaccination is only one of the mitigation factors. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the places where the government has gone wrong, I think, in putting all of its eggs really in the vaccination basket and the expectation that there'll be a huge upswing in the vaccines arriving mm. over the summer and they'll get everybody done, no problem. Uh, which, which if, if we had the vaccine now, we wouldn't be fighting about it. Mm. But I mean, vaccination is not going to work if you have the leaky bucket of your open ports and borders. Mm. Yeah. If you have your open ports and borders, you're just inviting more variants in. Mm-hmm. And you're also, um, you're not, you're not your vaccine might work against them. The other mitigation factors, um, I mean, people are still going to have to practice hygiene, I think, from yeah. now on out. It'll be the new thing. Yeah, but the... Okay. the but, but the government also needs to, um, to, to get real about public health funding for the public health doctors and consultants, preventative medicine. You know, all of the COVID has come along. It's kind of a gift. It reveals all of the lack of what we should have been doing, you know? Yeah. Um, like even when we look at like vomiting bugs that would knock out a whole class, that's as Tony Hulahan said, it will never be socially acceptable to go into work now with a cold. Mm. never more will that be allowed to happen you know so like hopefully we'll learn from things but as you're saying Fergal we have to make these are new mitigation measures that we're going to have to bring in because who's to say there won't be another outbreak or pandemic in our lifetimes I hope not but like maybe there will be and exactly. what have we done? really requires that long-term investment, you know, in in things like proper ventilation systems, Mm. you know, but also in the public health. I mean, you know, the fact that, you know, we're amazed that they're not investing in in schools and in the mitigations in schools, but, you know, a year into a pandemic, we still don't have properly resourced public health teams. Mm. You know, we're still not able to track down the chains of transmission fully of this this illness. So, I mean, you know, there's the... lack of investment of resources in these absolutely fundamental parts of our society is is absolutely astonishing to me yeah, it's, it's actually the, in, in education it's the lowest spend in the oecd yeah. like, and we're one of well, the wealthiest countries in the world and, it's and very, have, very you know, our gdp uh, grew by 3.5 percent yeah yeah i just well, don't know from, how from education spend defend that how, how how can the government defend its its failure in the in the testing and tracing I mean, we, we have never, this is the one thing that who, who said to us, the World Health Organization said, 
test and trace, test and trace. And and we're still coming out with this lame old, oh, it's community transmission, which is like, we don't know where it's coming from. And we as teachers, you know, a lot of our students who are being identified as cases, they're, they're being told they're community transmission. Yeah. We yeah. don't know the community transition. They're probably schools. Yeah, this is why we don't there has never been the risk assessment when the, in the schools adequate. Even the, even the health and safety authority who should be overseeing the safety Virgil, of the workplace. What happened in, I know when we were talking about going back in January, there was this whole talk in the unions that um, ask your school, can you see, was it a, a letter went out from the unions to all the schools that said, can you say that our, our members won't get COVID or get, do a health and safety assessment? And then people did question that most recently when we went back in February and said, how come that's not a thing anymore? So mm. like, I remember there was a letter that went to the board of management that basically said, can you assure that our staff won't get COVID, et cetera. But then it disappeared in February and then we went back, which well, is, you know. I, I, you, and I, you, you and I both know that risk assessments were done. Lead workers were, sorry, the health and safety statements were reviewed in the light yeah. of the new threat. And, 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 and still have to be done, but, but yeah. nobody can give assurances. All we can do is say that we are taking mitigation steps that we can in our workplace, but we are limited. We, we, we haven't been given the freedom to change the timetable, the numbers of students attending school. Um, we can't make the walls any bigger, the classes any smaller. So I'm like, basically, um, we're basically playing a game of chess against um, covid with with half a team and what's terrifying is that we're still seeing children being sent into school with symptoms of covid and nobody mm. nobody is blinking an eye like i've heard stories from around the, around the country nobody's blinking an eyelid it's okay they've had that cough for a while okay so if somebody comes to my house and they have a cough what do you think i'm going to say like but it's okay send them into school because they're children and it's probably they're okay you well, know, like I, I, it's it's up to every school to be vigilant, and I think you're going to 100%. get a variety, a variety of responses there. I'd say if a child walks into our school, and they have a cough, um, they are sent home. I'm like I I came across this sure. in our school where where they were. I I went to, found a lad in the isolation room, and I went into him and said, "What's the story with you?" Because, and he said, "I was sent in here um because I had a cough." And uh, I, I told the teacher I was grand or whatever, you know, and he, he was he was gone home in 10 minutes. Yeah. But I've heard of cases in schools, um, friends of mine who teach in school, who there was a student in the school looked really bad. He was, you know, looked sick, looked unwell. And they said to me, are you OK? He said, no, not really. And they said, OK, um, what's wrong? And they told him some, a lot of symptoms of COVID. And he said, well, you should be at home. He said, well, my mum told me to come in. You know, and then sent him home and then went for a, a test and was positive. Mm. And the, the, ca- the class had to, to be shut down. You know, um, it's crazy. But to go back on that, on that mitigation measures and the, the half in, half out we talked about. Mm. Um, in September, I, I was hearing uh, Texas. Uh, I was getting Texas from people, um, teachers, because of my role in the union. And they were asking is it okay if my principal is, is timetabling the school for half in, half out, right? You know, mm. that I'm, I'm half the students are in, have this kind of a weird timetable. Is that okay? And, you know, it, it, technically no, because, you're, you know, it's changing your working conditions and all the rest. But in terms of COVID, 
But anyway, the point I'm making is a few days later, that was all changed and it was all back to full in because apparently, you know, the Department of Education went, no, you can't do that. No. <laughs> had, to, had to change it, you know. <laughs> so the principal had made a health and safety kind of a decision himself um, mm-hmm. yeah. around, you know, bringing half in, half out and trying to work it that way and then was told to, to over, overturn it. reminds me of the primary school case where the principal closed the school and he was ordered by the department to reopen yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's absolute disgrace. School autonomy, but no autonomy. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, at lads, I think we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up. We've given it a fair um, lash, I suppose. Um, can, can I just say one thing before we go? Yeah, of course you can, yeah. You always want to, so mit- I'm not going to stop the, you. Go on. The greatest mitigation measure you can have is knowledge. So yeah. in, inform yourself, inform your friends, inform your students, inform the parents, let them know what COVID is. And, 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 and don't let anybody ever make the mistake of thinking that, that, that just because you're not dying from a, an illness, that it's not going to harm you. Mm. The standard is harm. We That's should a, never like, allow our employer to justify harming us. Yeah. And I think as well, if you're if you want to uh, inform yourself and you want to be knowledgeable about it, I think you, you can't look any further than than ISAG. I know that's where a lot of people uh, are looking uh, for the truth on what's going on. I suppose uh, and looking at because they're they are publishing all the data, uh, all the research from other countries and what's happening, and they're asking the questions uh, of our of our government. Christopher, did you want to come in there or no? Oh, I just cut, like we were you're talking about you know the mitigation measures that going in. One of the biggest mitigation measures that we should have put in, I think, and I know there was special COVID brought in, but since since the recession in 2009, 2010, when our sick pay was literally halved from 14 days, 10 to seven days, that was an absolute disgrace. And going forward, I think that's definitely something that as a union, we need to be, you know, really working towards and not just the ASDI, but I think it should be all public yeah. sector unions mm-hmm. pushing for this. And it didn't come in and they build a momentum bit deal. Um, but I think it is something that we really need to kind of go and write. Like this was brought in under this this idea that public sector workers were taking the piss because we could. Like it's a total right wing, a total right wing rhetoric that was that was brought in, and it needs to be uh, it needs to be immediately uh, changed in the mm. next pay agreements. Which you know you're already looking at two years down the line for these pay agreements, which is why they have to be good when you sign off on them, and. Um, yeah, no, it needs to be really, really looked at because that was an outrageous decision 10 years ago and it really highlighted and it was really highlighted how disgraceful it was in the last two or three years. Yeah, and to be honest, I remember that at the time and the argument that was thrown back at us was, sure, how can we fight that? Uh, because in pub, you know, in, in, in the public sector, uh, sorry, the private sector, yeah. uh, they don't get that, so you'd be, you'd be killed in the media. Now, that's not a good enough excuse for me, absolutely not, and I'm no. totally against it, but that, that, that's the argument that was given at the time by people high up in the trade union. Um, but anyway, look, we'll <laughs> leave it there. Um, so thanks very much, everybody, uh, for coming thanks on. So. Thanks for giving up your, your Easter you. Monday. I hope people are a little bit more informed. Uh, um, I'm sure we'll have another one of these because uh, COVID is not going away anytime soon unfortunately um, and if you are going to convention uh, and if you are in Forza and you are going to their uh, convention at the end of the week then please do vote in favour of that motion um, to like I'm not going to Andrew <laughs> reverse, reverse decision uh, reverse the decision uh, of the vaccine rollout you know but, uh, thanks very much everybody for, uh, for joining us 
Thank you. Bye-bye. And thank you once again for joining us. And please do join us in a couple of days where we'll be reviewing the teacher conventions that are happening uh, tomorrow, which is Tuesday and Wednesday. And we'll look at some of the key motions that came up at the uh, ASTI and the TOI conferences. Uh, and we'll have a discussion uh, around some of those issues. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh, and be safe. Bye-bye.